Hey, Crosswalk. Welcome to church and happy Sabbath. I think we're in week four of our Rearrange series, and what we're talking about is what it means to come out of oppression and change our value system. Not that our value systems were necessarily wrong, but we're going to evaluate them through the eyes of the Exodus and then take a look at what that means for us as we come out of this what seems like oppression. And I am hopeful that we are headed in the right direction. And so that's where we start today. And the truth is that the children of Israel were having to learn how to live in their new normal. Now, there's no slavery, the slavers, there's no security around, and they were just wandering. And at just the right time, they received this new set of instructions. And these instructions you're familiar with, we call them the Ten Commandments. Now, I know it feels like we're rushing through the book of Exodus, but it's a really long book, and we could spend a year in Exodus, and we're going to try and do it in about seven weeks. So we're going to move pretty quick. But I wonder what your relationship was with the Ten Commandments when you first heard heard about them. Do you remember what you felt like when you first learned about them? Did they scare you, I wonder? Because I remember being afraid The first time I heard about the Ten Commandments, it was these are the things that God demands of you. These are the things that God wants you to do. And if you don't do these things, you're in real serious trouble. And so I began to look at them and began to get kind of scared because they feel kind of overwhelming. The question again is, did they scare you? No other gods before you. Wow. Um, I mean, I don't believe in any other gods, but what does that mean? Am I keeping something as an idol secretly in my life that I'm putting in front of God? I don't know. How do I even know that? How do I evaluate that? It used to keep me up at night. Of course, the ones that we always knew was the fourth commandment, right? If you come from our particular faith tradition, the fourth commandment was the one that you kind of got taught first, even though it's not the first one. That was the one, you know, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy six days. Shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Of course, we remembered it in the, new, in the King James Version. On and on and on. Honor thy father and mother. Like all these things. And it was, it was kind of frightening because you're like, how do I keep these straight? How do I know if I'm doing good on these or not? What's the scale? What's the metric in which I'm being judged? Is it these 10? But then you get a little older, right? And you realize that the truth is they aren't that hard to keep, are they? When I was 10 years old, they seemed very disconcerting and very difficult because that's what I was going to be judged by. But The more I look at it, the more I research it, the more I try and understand what the Ten Commandments really are, I wonder, is it possible that they were more of a social contract? Right? David Bodinus says that there is more of a social contract. They are more of a social contract that bridged the gap between empires and kings. These were refugees in need of a little bit more instruction in the interim of their settling down. And they came in two tablets, right? They didn't come in just one. They came in two. This is clear. Four for us and God, six for us and us. And if if you're wondering why there are two tablets, I think there's an interesting parallel in the story of Jesus in Matthew 22. Because, you know, they're asking him, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus replied this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first 
and greatest commandment. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. We know this. This is not something new. That is the two tables of the law, the two tablets, if you will, whatever words you want to use. Jesus synthesizes them down to these tiny but huge statements. Now, the important thing that we need to think about when we look at the Ten Commandments is to remember this. These came directly from God. Now, we don't have a lot of stuff that comes directly from God like this, but they were given to Moses by God so that the children of Israel might know how to respond to God and to one another. Exodus 20, verse 1, says it very simply. Then God gave all the people these instructions. And this is a sign of a God that cares. Because lawlessness, or even allowing for lawlessness, is not caring. Doing whatever you want has never been the dream. And I want to reiterate this point. In fact, I was reading, I was reading some article somewhere. It was a political article. You know, it's been a long political season. And and they were saying, you know, everyone wants to be like this particular person because he can do whatever he wants, he can say whatever he wants, and he, you know, no one can hold him accountable. That's the American dream. And I thought, wow, is that the American dream? Because for a believer, doing whatever we want, saying whatever we want with no consequences has never been the dream that we've sought to live. Doing whatever we want has never been the dream. There's some sense that if I had enough money or if I had enough fame or if I had enough power, I could do whatever I want. But that's never been the dream for a believer. Because these commands actually lead us to freedom. They're not about duty. They are about freedom. So how are they about freedom? One of the reasons is that in the Old Testament... They didn't define freedom in the same way that we do, which, was, which is kind of the power to choose any course of action. No, freedom in the Old Testament is better defined as the power to become what I am made for. So freedom comes in our close connection to that which God has for us and to God rather than us choosing just whatever path we want. Now, that's a different way to live. That is, that is us not living under the auspices of what we think is right, but that is us submitting ourselves to what God would have for us. And in that way, the Ten Commandments are a path to freedom. Dickinson, in his book, says this, Therefore, the Ten Commandments are the path out of slavery to the transitory, into the life of the Creator intended for all His creatures. You see, we find purpose in obeying these commands, as well as freedom and blessing. Now, I wonder this. How come we were never told this when we first encountered the Ten Commandments? Why is it that when we were given the Ten Commandments, we were given them to us as a yoke, like we were oxen, and this was a yoke that we would have to carry and pull along with us the whole way, thinking that these commandments, these decrees, these laws were not only a, a, a scary burden to carry, but they were also that which 
by, that by which we would be judged. What is your relationship with these commands? And I know I ask it again because the truth is, many of us have a really difficult relationship with the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm not quoting every single one. They're found in Exodus 20. You can go and you can read them, and chances are that you know them already, and that is great, and we should know them. We should have the law of God written in our hearts. So I'm not going to go through every single one. Because I think a broader question for us right now, maybe a bigger question for us right now, is not what are they, we know what they are. The bigger question for us right now is how we relate to them. You see, are you legalistic in the way that you understand them? Or do they become deep and indwelling themes in your life? Because to hold them legalistically is to ask What's the least that I can do? And I know I've spoken about this at length because I just believe that legalism and the idea of perfectionism is one of the greatest heresies that we can believe in as followers of Jesus Christ. The idea that if we're not perfect, God can't love us. And if we're not exactly the way he wants us to be, keeping every single law, well, what that will do is that will lead us down the same road that it led the ancient Israelites, the ancient Jews, when they would put a hedge around the law and then a hedge around the hedge around the law and then a hedge around a hedge around a hedge around the law. Therefore, they wouldn't break those 10 commandments and then they would begin to keep them in a way that was so not only legalistic, but also deeply full of loopholes, trying to find ways to get out of that work. How long can I walk on a Sabbath? What does work constitute? And many of us have grown up in households that were like that, wondering how far we can go in the water or how far we can't go in the water. What is good for us to do? What is not good for us to do? That's been the way that we have often interacted with the Ten Commandments, particularly the fourth in our faith tradition. We can just own that. And rather than asking God, what is the most I can do on this Sabbath day for you? We keep track of what time it might be over. And again, those of you who have been going to Crosswalk for a long time, you've heard me say that before. But if you're new to Crosswalk and you've just been watching for a while, I think the most legalistic thing we've ever done as a faith tradition is to publish the time Sabbath is over in the bulletin at church. Because then you know when you don't have to be holy anymore. And life is freed from this burden that we call the Sabbath. And that is no way for us to live. To hold them legalistically is to ask, what is the least I can do? And that is death, not life. And that's poor relationship building. Imagine coming to a friend of yours or to your spouse and saying, honey, what's the least I can do to stay that you might stay in love with me? And if I'm beating a dead horse, I apologize. It feels like I talk about this a lot, but it must mean that the Holy Spirit guides us to talk about this a lot because we still struggle with the idea that these Ten Commandments will be judge and jury for us. But remember, it's a group of people coming out of oppression, moving into freedom, and they needed some guidance on the way to learn how to interact with God and with one another because apparently they had lost some of that wherewithal while they were being held in captivity. They had forgotten that loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself was the fulfillment of the law, and so it spelled out. 
But when you think about it, it's, come on. Don't kill your neighbor. Makes you a bad neighbor. Do we really need to say that? Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Makes you a bad neighbor. There's a lot of things. Don't steal from your neighbor. Makes you, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Come on. These are things that we shouldn't have to be told because they should be written on the heart of every single believer. And quite honestly, every single human being that wants to have some good neighborly neighbors. But what we've done is we've taken them and we've, we've made them into the mythological salvation for each and every one of us. If you keep these, will you be saved? Now, the answer is, of course not. Salvation has never come through the law. And I know some of you are like, oh, wait a second. That means we don't have to keep them anymore? We can just go. That's not what I said. Should you keep them? Of course. Why wouldn't you if they bring you closer to the purpose and life that God has for you? Why would you not keep them? But if you think keeping them is going to be the thing that saves you, then you've never been in a relationship with someone. Because doing the least of what is asked for us as believers in Jesus Christ, well, it just makes us bad neighbors. I don't want to ask God, what's the least I can do? And then tick off the checkboxes to make sure that that's what I've done. What I'm interested in and what I would hope that you would be interested in is finding out the very most that you can do for God. So the Ten Commandments, great starting point. But the way that we live our lives should make those Ten Commandments superfluous anyway. We don't need them. Because not only are they written so indelibly in our heart that we're going to do them as second nature, but beyond that, we want to show people a greater way, a better way. We've called it the third way. Something that is more, something that is greater. Something that means that the people around you don't question who it is that you believe in and who it is that you follow. They don't question the label that you put on yourself of, of who is your king and who is your Caesar. We follow Christ. And we look at the Ten Commandments through the eyes of the cross. And we recognize this. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And then we're quick to say, but he didn't, he didn't, what's the word we say? We say he came to fulfill the law, but he didn't come to abolish the law. Of course not. But it seems like we have to keep explaining this to people because on one end is lawlessness and on the other end is a duty to a law that we're not really sure how to keep. Now, come on, it's more than that. That binary is false. Because when we become in relationship with Jesus Christ, what it means is that we are freed not to sin. We are freed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, and not to put any other gods before him. We are free to keep the Sabbath in the way that it was meant to be kept, not to the second, but to the person. And rather than keeping the Sabbath, we're going to begin to give the Sabbath. So we really understand what the Sabbath was for, which is relationship. And no, we're not going to kill our neighbors, because we understand not only is that bad neighborliness, but it's really hard to tell somebody of the love of Christ when we've murdered them or slept with their wife or stolen something from them. Friends, if we're going to take a look at the Ten Commandments as, as these rules that we have to keep or we'll never be saved, guess what? We'll never be saved because that's not ever what they were for. 
They were so that we could understand how to get along with one another much better and understand what our relationship should be with God. The first four come in first because we need to first sort out our relationship with God. That informs our relationship with other people. Now, by the way, this doesn't diminish the importance of the Ten Commandments. Everything, every word in every single commandment, of course it's important. But if you can't remember it all, you must remember this. Jesus transposed Moses. Now, I, I used to work with this guy who had this knack. In fact, he had an incredible ability because we worked at this big church, and it was pretty traditional. And he would come, and he would mess with old hymns. Now, if you know anything about music, and you know anything about people who love old hymns, they do not love you messing with old hymns. In fact, oftentimes people get very upset but my buddy that I used to work with, man, he had a way of rewriting old hymns. And sometimes he would add new verses or he would add a bridge that would somehow fit so perfectly within it. People would say, man, I never heard that part of that song before. It didn't exist. He created it because he understood the very deep tenets of the song. And in that same way, we live our lives knowing that what Jesus did is Jesus transposed those Ten Commandments and he said those words that we saw in Matthew 22, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he took a song and he made it better. So the question ends up being this for you today. How do you sing this song in your life? Do you sing it like the ancient Israelites did? Which is a, a droning duty? A responsibility that brings very little joy? Or, and I know that's an oversimplification, but stay with me. Or do you sing it the way Jesus sang it? Knowing that it's not about how far you walk on Sabbath. It's not about what second that you keep the Sabbath until. It's not about just not murdering your neighbor, but it's about not even being angry with your neighbor, not even having lustful thoughts. Keeping the Sabbath as a joy and a celebration of the relationship that you have with God that spills over the sides. Man, I remember hearing people say, you got to guard the edges of the Sabbath. Why? The Sabbath overflows the edges. We diminish our relationship with God when we make it into 10 simple rules. But we explode the idea of God into the world, not just by keeping them, but by going further than anything they've ever asked us to. The 10 commandments are not basic instructions before leaving earth. The 10 commandments are the joy of what it means to be in a right relationship with God. It's what they were always meant for. It's what they mean today. So I ask again, how do you sing that song in your life today? Let's pray. Lord, may we sing this song forever. May we sing a song of joy and of grace, of love and of celebration. Lord, may we take on these commandments so deeply within our hearts that we don't even need to utter those words because we are living that life. 
Lord, we know we want to diminish the demands that you make on us, but at the same time, Lord, we want to understand that that's very low bar. And we can do so much better than that if we lean into you and who you are. God of grace, I just ask that today we sing the song that Jesus sang, that we might love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind and Lord, that we may love another as you have loved us. These are your, not 10 commandments, these are every commandment. In your name I pray, amen.